Good morning. How's everybody? So I don't know if you guys know or not, but we are starting a new study today. So we are in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, open them up, please, to the book of Acts. So normally what I would do this time of year is, and with this uh, in-between book studies where we just finished Hebrews and we get on to the next one, I would uh, take a break from just going right into the next book study. Maybe do a Christmas story. It would be a good season to have a Christmas story. But um, I think the Holy Spirit told me that uh, you all folks need the Holy Spirit up in her. So um, we're just going to get right into the book of Acts. And uh, we'll try to introduce it today as far as what it is. And um, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So it's a long book study. It'll probably take us nine months or so to get through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We'll cover every word in the book of Acts. Uh, we encourage you guys as we do book studies in, in our church to, to participate, read ahead, um, you know, read the whole book for the next you know, week or so, get through it one time, and then just stay a chapter or so ahead of where we are. It'll really enhance your, your church experience. When you come to church, if you already read the chapter, what's going to happen is you're going to get some questions. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about some things. Something's going to pop off the page that's, that God's going to minister to you with. It's going to be cool. There's going to be something that's just going to make you scratch your head and go, what is that? I hope Pastor talks about this verse on Sunday because I have no idea what this means, and I don't either. So we'll just hope that um, well, Spirit shows up and, uh, and speaks. So again, Acts chapter 1 this morning as we begin a new book study. I'm super excited. So let's talk just briefly in the introduction to the book of Acts. The first verse says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So two people mentioned in verse 1. The first one is I, and the second one is Theophilus. So the I in verse 1 is who? Anybody going to take a wild stab at it? It's not Paul. It's Luke. Okay? Luke is the writer to the, to the book of Acts. Luke also wrote what in the New Testament? The Gospel of Luke. The interesting thing about Luke is that he was a doctor. Luke was, when he writes the Gospel of Luke and the Synoptic Gospels, the three of the four Gospels um, are very similar to each other, and John's Gospel kind of stands on its own. But, but Luke gives us details of the death of Jesus that could only come from the perspective of somebody who was very intelligent and learned. When Luke writes the, the book of Acts, he... And by the way, I'm going to be calling it the gospel of Acts. It's just the way it's just stuck in my head somewhere. So if I say the gospel and we're in Acts, you know what I'm talking about. But so Luke writes in a in a very educated Greek when he wrote Acts. Some of the other books are written in more simpler, understandable Greek. But 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 Acts is like a next level writing because Dr. Luke was an intelligent individual. He was a he was a personal physician. And in in those days, in Jesus's days, you know, in our society, the doctors are the ones that live on the houses on the hills. Right. Like. And, and in, in Jesus's day, the guy that owned the house on the hill, he would hire or he would even own a, a servant in his house that would be his physician, would be the doctor for his family, for his community. And so Dr. Luke um, either worked for this guy Theophilus or could have been owned by um, this guy Theophilus. And Theophilus is a, is, a, is a rich Roman guy who um, opens the door for Luke to be able to record the gospel. The interesting thing about Luke is that he was not one of the 12 disciples. He, he didn't walk with Jesus for three years and have eyewitness accounts. So he, he interviewed, and, and we could see in some of the detail in Luke's gospel that he must have interviewed Mary firsthand in, when Gabriel came and visited her as he records those details. As we get into the book of Acts, 
he's going to use the, the third person, they and them. And, and then as we get to chapter 16, we see that Paul says he had a vision and he saw a man in the night from Macedonia. And this man from Macedonia called him to come and he said that concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So a lot, a lot of people believe that this man he saw in this vision was none other than Luke. And, and that when, when, because in Acts chapter 16, from that point on, when Luke writes, he says, we, we went, I saw. And so he joins Paul's second missionary journey about Acts 16 and the rest of the book of Acts. Luke is following Paul and he's writing the, the account. Now, as a whole in the book of Acts, basically what we're going to get is the entire um, life of the Apostle Paul. Every time you see the disciples mentioned, Peter is always mentioned first. And don't blame Peter. The Holy Spirit recorded it, and that's the way that he did it. And so we'll see a little bit of Peter's ministry in the first ten chapters. But what's going to happen is that Peter's going to kind of fade off the scene as we get into the book of Acts. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul from his conversion. He was, cru- cru- uh, he was um, persecuting and killing Christians. He hated the church. He was there at the death of the first martyr of the, of, of the Christian church, a guy by the name of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Saul is on his way to Damascus to kill and imprison more Christians when God shows up and Jesus um, comes and saves his life. And then we have this conversion of the Apostle Paul, and, and, and we follow him through the rest of the book of Acts as he travels on what are called a succession of either three or four missionary journeys. The fourth one, he was in prison and on his way to his death in Rome where he was going to give testimony of the gospel to Caesar Nero. And, and so, but three journeys, kind of three circles that Paul made. And everywhere Paul went, he would spend a certain amount of time there, and he would start a church. And then when, when the church got established and got to a certain point, Paul, Paul and Barnabas, or whoever he was traveling his first missionary journey, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark, second missionary journey, Paul and Silas, um, Timothy joins them somewhere in the second journey, goes on the third with them. Um, so he makes these big circles around Asia Minor, what is today modern-day Turkey and, and that area of the world, Greece and to Rome. And so he, he, he plants a church, they spend some time, they raise up leaders in that church, and when things are comfortable, Paul leaves and, and they go and they do it in another city. They start the same pattern. They just go somewhere else and they start a church. Well, as you know, these churches that Paul started are the books of the Bible. So Paul went to a city called Galatia and he started a church there and he rose up leadership and eventually he turned it over to them. And as he's traveling, he writes a letter back the church that he started in Galatia, giving them some instruction. So what do, what, do, what do we have? We have the book of Galatians. So then Paul is in, um, he's in Coloss, and he starts a church in Coloss. And somewhere along the lines, he writes a letter back to the church in Coloss, encouraging them and instructing them. And what do we have? The book of Colossians. And so we'll see how that's how we have and the, the different places of the um, through the Bible, when we get to where Paul is starting this church that becomes the church in Galatia or Colossians or uh, Ephesians or any of these, these books that we have, Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, we'll highlight that and we'll see that and we'll follow. So this is a, a pulled out view of the life of Paul as he travels through what I, what's going to become a 30 year. The book of Acts takes 30 years. Okay, everybody say 30. So you remember it. 30 miracles recorded in the book of Acts. Okay. So sometimes people read the book of Acts and they say things to us like, well, how come your church doesn't look like the book of Acts? Because they, they're like, where's my miracle? And then you give them a miracle and then they're like five minutes later, okay, where's my miracle? Like the book of Acts. No, it's not exactly how it is. 30 miracles 
recorded over a 30-year period of time. So if you figure about a miracle a year through the book of Acts, we read it second to second, page to page, and we think, oh, man, all this stuff is just happening, which God was moving in a special way during the early church, no doubt. But, but at the same time, I think we have probably a good, pretty good pattern of about a miracle a year, and we see God moving in this similar way. And definitely, like I said, God's Holy Spirit was, being, was moving in a special way in, a, in the life of the apostles. None of us are apostles, or, nor do we share their power or their ability to, to do ministry. But we do, what I'm saying is that we do model somewhat the book of Acts. And a lot of, a lot of folks say, well, you know, we, we need to do church like they did in the early church. It's, it's the, the model for church. Now listen, it's not the model for church. We have and we learn in Acts, like an example for example in Acts 2.42. You can highlight this verse. This is like a staple verse in the Bible. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, one, in fellowship, two, in breaking of bread, three, and in prayers. So you have these four pillars that we find in Acts 2.42. Two of the four pillars have to do with fellowship. And so we take those four things that the early church did, and that we model for sure. But listen, we're not doing church in Jerusalem in the first century, so we can't do everything they did. We're actually, if we want to be like the book of Acts, if we're being honest, by the time we get to chapter 17, Paul is in Athens. He's on a place called Mars Hill. Educational idolatry is off the charts in Athens. The philosophers, and that's more where we live now is Acts chapter 17 than Acts chapter 1 with, with this intellectual idolatry and, and battle that's going on that we're facing. So we, we get from the book of Acts and from the early church definitely a model and some staples and some things they did that we learned. But, but you know, the, the early church had lots of problems. In the early church, they had this explosive growth that happened. Peter's going to preach next week when I get to chapter 2, and 3,000 people are going to get saved. And then, and then in a very short amount of time, another group of 5,000. So the early church like that went from 12 to 8,000. Okay? And then you don't, but you don't see that kind of explosive growth through the rest of the book of Acts. So again, for those folks, and then it's, it's, pre, it's prevalent, oh, we need to be living in, the first, in, in Acts in the first part. Uh, no, we don't. We're not there. We're not, we're not in Jerusalem in the first century. They had 8,000 people that, that joined the church in a matter of no time, 10 days. Um, and then what happened was a lot of those people, those 8,000 people that came to Christ in those very first days of, of the Holy Spirit being poured out, they, they lived in other places and they didn't want to go home. They didn't want to leave. They were just a part of the church. And so what the church did, the early church did, was they, they started this communal living. They lived communally. They, the Bible says they sold everything that they owned and they brought it to the church. And then the church just made this big community and, and provided for all of them. But it created a lot of problems. Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5 of the book of Acts, they, they're going to be a part of this communal living. They're going to sell what they own. They're going to bring it in and give it to the apostles. And Peter's going to look at Ananias and say, why have you lied and conspired to sin against the Holy Spirit? And Ananias falls over dead because he blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And then his wife walks in in chapter 5 a few minutes later, and Peter said, did you sell that property for so much? And she says, yes. And he says, why are you, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? The, the property was yours before you sold it. The money was yours after you sold it. You, but, but you lied to the Holy Spirit. And she, she said the, the, he said, the feet of the men who carried your husband away are on their way in to carry you away, and she fell over dead. And then there was disputes because the, the, the apostles were distributing the, the money and the, and the livelihood. And these women were saying, oh, they're favoring the Hellenists over the other women. And, and, um, and, and there was lots of problems in the early church. The early church, actually, this communal living, it broke down so that the apostle Paul, we see in, in, um, 
in Corinthians, he's in Corinth taking up an offering, and the money that he gets, he's going to take it back to the church in Jerusalem because they were struggling financially. So, so again, we, 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 we learn from the early church for sure. We, we model things after. But, but that was a unique call of God, and we're not, we're not the early church. We're, we're doing church more like in Acts 17. Friend day? Got that part? Yeah? We had this guy. I was doing children's ministry for a lot of years, and uh, I was a young pastor. And this, this gentleman in our church, he wanted to sit in church with his young children, but the problem was they were very distracting and they couldn't sit still. And so as the youth pastor, I, I told him about the cry room, and I told him about other options, Sunday school, and encouraged him. And I said, we, we allow kids in the sanctuary until they begin to cause distractions. And I said, it's just not fair. You know, no, no, none of you would, would, would for a minute go into a movie theater with a bunch of strangers and, and cause a bunch of distractions. You can understand that in a public movie theater, but you can't understand that in church. Like, it's just rude to have, you know, so I was telling him, and he said, no, the early church, they communed together and they met together. And he was right, you know, and I was like, I didn't know what to say, a young pastor. So I, so I go to Pastor Bob, who, who's, who's, you know, on our staff, and you guys have met, some of you have met Pastor Bob. He's our He's the guy that I always tell the story that he'd never give you a one-word answer. That's Pastor Bob, the intellectual guy. So he's the president of the Bible college. So I go to Bob and I say, Bob, I got this problem with his family. Can you help me? And he says, yeah, we'll meet with him next week. So we come and we sit down across the table and Bob is there and the gentleman begins his argument that he wants to sit with his family that's causing distractions in church because that's what the early church did. And Bob, Pastor Bob looks at the guy and he said, well, the early church, he said they also sold everything that they owned and brought it into the church. And that was the end of that discussion. He didn't put his kids in the sanctuary anymore. So, again, we, we model things, but we're, we're not the first century church. Um, it, it was super explosive. Um, we read verse 1, but we talked about Luke a little bit, right? What do we got to cover? Um, Theophilus. So, again, Theophilus was the guy that, that Luke wrote it to. Luke traveled. He keeps this very accurate account. Um, the only thing I know about Theophilus is that when he was born... The doctor looked at him and said, this is the awfulest baby I've ever seen in my life. He didn't know whether to smack him on the backside or the front side. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, the name Theophilus is very beautiful. It's, it's two Greek words, Theo, which means God, and, and, and Phileo, which is love. So the word means lovers of God. So some say that, that, that Luke is writing just in general to the lovers of God. And I like that. I think that's a, that's a good, good idea or good concept. Others say that it was... It was to a guy, but that was his pseudo name to protect his identity. One way or the other, I'm kind of in the class that, that, that um, Theophilus was an actual guy that Luke worked for and that he wrote these accounts and that the, the rich guy was Theophilus who allowed Luke's, maybe gave Luke his freedom, allowed him to travel and said, go and travel with this movement and, and keep a detailed account. He knew Luke was the right guy, being a learned guy. Again, his, his Greek was, was excellent. And then we get to verse 2 and it says, um, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, somebody say alive, after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Do you guys know what an infallible proof is? It's infallible. It's exactly what it is. It says that Jesus appeared alive with many infallible proofs. That there was, there was witnesses being seen by them during 40 days and speaking to the things pertaining to the kingdom. Jesus wanted to make sure that people understood he wasn't a spirit or he wasn't a, not aborigine, Pat, you're sleeping. 
apparition. He was in an apparition. Um, he had to help me out with that word. I was going to call him an aborigine. Those, those are the guys in Australia. Apparition. That he wasn't a spirit or an apparition. That he was real. And, and remember Thomas, um, Jesus first appears to the women at the tomb. And then he appears to Peter. And then the 12 disciples on that first meeting on Sunday night. And that first church service and Jesus appears in the building. And, and which one of the disciples just happened to miss church that day? Jason? No, I'm just kidding. Um, Thomas wasn't there, right? What a bad day to miss church. Jesus shows up, and then the next day, Thomas comes with the disciples, and they're like, man, Jesus was here last night. And Thomas said, man, I won't believe it till I see it with my eyes. Matter of fact, I won't believe it till I can put my hands in the holes. And the next thing you know, Jesus is standing there like, I don't think he wanted to touch him so much anymore. But, but then he appears to, to Thomas and the rest. And then he appears on the road to Damascus. He appears to seven um, recorded in the gospel. And then the Bible says that Jesus appeared to over 50 at one time. He, when he was with the disciples, he ate with them. He ate fish and honey and, and, and wanted again to, to make a statement that he was alive. He had flesh. Now his, his, his body that he had, his spirit that he had, he, he, one time the Bible says they're in a room and, and Jesus just appears in the room. He didn't come through the doors or windows. He just, through the walls, just appeared in the room. So the body that he had, it didn't restrict him. It was his glorified body. But he did want to make a case that he was alive and that he, he had a body and that he was real. And over 500 at one time. Today, if, if you're accused of a crime, you'll stand before a jury of your peers, 12 men and women. And those 12 men and women, we've decided, we agree that, that what they decide is your fate. And that we will put people to death based on what those 12 decide because that's the power of a witness of 12 and that we feel like that's a quorum. There was 12 disciples that Jesus appeared to many times post-resurrection. He one time appeared to a group of 500 people. Every one of the disciples, except for John, was murdered for their faith. And not one of them recanted. All they would have had to say was that, okay, it was a lie. We made it up. But every one of them went to their deathbed with the testimony that they had seen Jesus and Jesus was alive. Somebody say amen. Listen, I want to tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is alive. It changes everything. It's a game changer. Jesus is real. He's alive. He's living. And, and he's a part of your life. And he wants to be a part of your life. And, and so, so Jesus is alive is what the point that's made here. And that they saw him, John, in John's gospel, or First John, um, the author of John and Revelation, in the first part when he's introducing it, he says, we beheld him, and we, 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 we saw him, and we touched him, and we beheld his glory. And then it says in verse number, where are we at, four? It says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So what was the promise of the Father that they had heard from him? Look at Luke chapter 11 and verse number 9. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 11 and verse 9, it says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So this is an obvious invitation from Jesus, words in red. And if a son asks for a bread, any father among you, will you give him a stone? So how many of you dads in here, if your child comes up and says, I want a piece of bread, will you hand them a rock and say, here, gnaw on this? 
says, you earthly fathers. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple hands raised in here. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun. Or if your son asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. What is the gift that that Luke is talking about in Acts chapter 1 that the Father was going to give? Come on, y'all. If you you didn't catch that, I'm preaching to myself. I'm going home. What, What is the gift? The Holy Spirit. We got that, right? The Holy Spirit that Jesus promised the Father was going to send the Spirit. And, and Jesus is now appearing post-resurrection to the apostles prior to Pentecost. And, and he's telling them that this thing is going to come. That God is going to give the Holy Spirit. So listen, the Father wants to give you the Holy Spirit. What was the prescription in Luke's gospel to get the Holy Spirit? It was to ask. Just ask. If you ask how much more your Father wants to give you the Holy Spirit. And if you ask Him for it, He'll give it to you. Which one of you fathers, you know, you don't give your son a stone if he asks you for a piece of bread. So if you ask God for God to give you the Holy Spirit, he wants to do that in your life. He's willing to do that. He will do that. But we ask, we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, as we get into the, the, the gospel or the book of Acts, now the, 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 the title of Acts in your Bible, it says the Acts of the Apostles. But technically, which is a good title, right? That's the title we have. That's not in the scripture. Luke didn't write that when he was writing this. We added that title, the Acts of the Apostles. But, but more officially, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the life of the Apostles. You know, the things that you do that, that, that God puts on your plate, that God allows you to do for Him, the Holy Spirit does those things through the life of the church, through the church, you and I, the Bride of Christ. So the Holy Spirit is the one who's moving. Now, we do need to think today about the, the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit is and does. Now, I don't have time to teach the Trinity today, so if you have Trinitarian questions, um, you know, we could take those later. We could talk offline anytime. But, but our God is three in one. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the, the, each one has a, a seemingly a unique um, function within the Godhead, right? So our, our God, how many gods do we serve? One God in three persons. We're told to baptize in the name of Singular name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, um, some people have a hard time with the Trinity. How can, how can you be th- have three parts in one? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One plus one plus one. That equals three. That's three. And I'm like, well, one times one times one equals one. So it's one. <laughs> you want to do math? But the, the, for, for me, example, like, you know, we're created. The Bible says we're created in the image of God. Right? So uh, I can understand, like, if... if you know, there's probably about 20 guns in here right now. If one of you guys decided to stand up and uh, shoot me, there's one thing I understand. My body's going to be laying here on the stage, but who I am is going to leave this body and, and, and go be with Jesus, right? So right there, I, I can see two parts of me. I'm created in the image of God, very simply. I'm two. Does that make two? Do I have there's two pastors up here? I'm one person created in the image of God, mind, body, and spirit. So I also have a mind that's that God has created within this flesh that, that works like a computer, that, that, that functions within itself. So I am three in one, not three people. God is three in one. Well, the function of the Holy Spirit that we find in the Bible, the Bible tells us a couple things about the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit's job right now with the bride of Christ, that's you and I, is to convict you of sin. What does that mean? That means that conscience, that voice, that, 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 that when you're convicted of sin, now there's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. Okay? We've taught through this a bunch of times. Condemnation, when you feel bad, when you feel pushed away from God, that doesn't come. The Bible says there is now there, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who love God and are called according to his purposes. Condemnation, something else. Conviction is, is that heart that you have when you, when you sinned against God. And the Holy Spirit begins to call you and draw you and tell you something that you need to repent of, you need to get right. So that's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit and the bride of Christ is to convict us of sins, to keep us walking with Jesus. The interesting thing is that every time we see the Holy Spirit in the Bible and our attention is drawn to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then points us to Jesus constantly. And when we get to Jesus, what is he doing all the time? He's pointing us to the Father. So, so the Holy Spirit does kind of take in, in sense like a, like a behind-the-scenes role. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's working in our lives. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's, that's, that's doing miracles, and it's the hands and the feet that, that God is using. Now here um, it says, verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father his own authority. Now, I don't have time too much to unpack that this morning, but listen, the disciples ask that same age-old question they just can't get over. When are you going to fulfill those prophecies that we know in the Old Testament about you being a ruling king? When are you going to put that crown and overthrow this Roman government and raise up the, the Jews to the right place of ruling and reigning with you? Thomas and John, uh, not Thomas, John and James, they even got their mother involved in the argument, remember? And they had their mom come up to Jesus, they could score better. And, and, they said, and she said, hey, Jesus, you know, when you set up this kingdom thing, you know, can one of my boys sit at your left hand and the other one at your right? You know, you said, when you send your mom in to do your dirty work, dude, you lost man points. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. It's not, it's not, for, it's not for me to give. But they, the disciples, the whole way through, are still thinking that these, these Old Testament prophecies that to us are still yet future, Jesus is coming. He is going to rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible was clear. The Old Testament was clear. And they, as you guys know, as we studied the Gospels, they, the 12 disciples could not get over this little learning block they had in their mind that that was going to happen. And so now they're asking him, is, is now, 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 you, before you die, we were disappointed when you died because then we realized it wasn't going to happen, but now you're alive and you're back. So, hey, are we going back to that kingdom thing? You're going you're gonna to make us, the, you know, and it was selfishly motivated. Now, that gives us comfort, you and I, because these guys were a bunch of knuckleheads. And they're still thinking about themselves, and they're still fighting over who's the greatest. And these are like 12 of the most important people in human history right now. Like if these 12 go down, like we're, we're not going to be sitting here today. And, and yet God used them anyways. And, and that's encouraging to us. So Jesus says, hey, stifle, that's, that's not what this moment is about. They took a hard left. Jesus is saying, come to Jerusalem. I want you to wait. Tarry there for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then immediately this, this discussion about them waiting for the Holy Spirit and being poured out on Pentecost. And then they want to ask when they're going to get promoted. So Jesus brings it back um, in verse number 8. And he says, you guys ready? But you shall receive power. If you're asleep, 
You're not now. Maybe. Some of you guys sleep hard. Let's try it again. You shall receive power. Now, the, now, the, now power, the reason why I say it that way is because that word in the Greek is where it's dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite from. This is a dynamo power that, that God is going to give you when he, when he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Now, this power that God is going to give you and I when he gives us the Holy Spirit, is that so that we can shoot fireballs out of our eyes? So we can can and knock somebody down? Or, you know, is, is that what the power of, of the Holy Spirit is meant to do in your life and my life? No, it says this dunamis, this dynamite power that God is going to give you is going to make you be my witness. Now, when we think of witnessing, sometimes we think about something, it's an act that we do. We go out on the streets, we pass out literature and tracts and Bibles, and we evangelize, we tell people about Jesus, and we go out witnessing. We go to foreign countries, we go down to Walmart parking lot, and, and that's something as Christians we need to do as God puts that on our heart, we need to evangelize and witness. But this particular, in this context, this is not something you do where you go out and witnessing. This is saying that the, the entire purpose listen this is important the entire purpose of the holy spirit giving you power god power is to make you a witness for jesus christ it's not something that you do it's something that you become it's something that you are in our lives you know i hear great stories from you guys all the time i something that's really common in church you know we had um jackie who's in sunday school right now she she said she had a gentleman and he ended up he came to church and the reason why he came to church was because of all the people in his office. And Jackie wasn't a super vocal Christian in her office and out preaching the gospel. But he said, said to me, he said, I just saw something different in her. Just who she was. There was just this, this feeling that was just different. And, and so I asked her what she goes to church. And, and you could feel the, the power of the Holy Spirit. We had this one woman who got saved and asked Jesus in her heart. And she said that every time she drove by the church, she just felt the Holy Spirit. And she said she started talking to the church. Hi, church. You know, eventually stopped and, and asked Jesus. But it's this, it's something that we are. It's something that's natural. And again, for us as Christians, it's, it's one of the greatest com- compliments we could ever get. You know, I can remember being a young Christian and hear people say this and, and feel like, oh, man, like, I want that. But, you know, you want to live your life in such a way that, that people want what you have, that what you have is attractive, that what you have is something desirable, you know, and, and again, like I, I've always preached against us as Christians being those type of Christians that are just sucking on raw lemons all the time and mad about everything, <laughs> you know, and just like that, that that's no, who's going to want to be like you and, and you're, you're professing that you're godly and you're, 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 you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and, and that God is using you and you invite people to church, but you're miserable all the time. People are going to avoid you like the plague. They're not going to, you know, it gives Christianity a bad name. There, there has to be something in you that, that, but listen, don't, I used to wear it like a, kind of like this weight on my shoulders. Like, oh, I got to like try to figure out how to live my life in such a way that people want to be like me and they want to see Jesus. I want them to see Jesus in me. And, and it was always so daunting. I could never do it. Like I was never good at it. But look, here's the thing. Take the weight off my shoulders and your shoulders. It's not something we manufacture. It's something that we have to try to do every day. It's just, um, it's just the power of the Holy Spirit that works through you. The idea of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, we need to talk about that next. But I'm going to tell you the concept first. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit is different than, than other experiences that we have. And it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that gives us that power that overflows and affects our environment, that gives us that ability for people to see Jesus in us. So if I take a bucket up here, big trash can barrel, and I bring the garden hose in and I put it in the, in the barrel and we turn it on, eventually the, the water is going to fill the barrel and then when it's full, it's going to begin to do what? Overflow, and the water is going to affect the environment around it. That's the baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit. It overflows you, and it naturally begins to affect people around you. And that's the desire that we want, and being filled. The concept of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, Paul teaches to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we read it in English, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in the, Greek, in the Greek participle, it means to be continually be filling, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So what, how, how does it all work? We, we're supposed to continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, now so I want to like give it kind of an overview. You guys take notes? Anybody take notes? Hey, I encourage you to take notes in church. Um, it's good. It's, you know, I take lots of notes when I, when I listen and when I go to church. I don't always go back to them. It's not like I'm making a commentary. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But it does enhance the way and it changes the way you learn. So if you take notes, I want you to write down three words for me right now. Para, P-A-R-A, P-A-R-A, and it means alongside. It's a Greek word that means alongside. The next word is N, and it's our English word I-N, but in Greek it's spelled funny way. They spell it E-N, and it just means in. And then the third word, so para, P-A-R-A, alongside, N-E-N, and then the third one is E-P-I, a P, and it means to overflow. What we find in the Bible with the Holy Spirit are these three different functions, the para, the uh, uh, N, and a P, the, the coming alongside, the coming in, and the overflowing, okay? So... Um, like I talked about, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sins. I think of all of you, if I gave you a chance to share your testimony of how God began to call you, how God began to speak to your heart, you, you would know of things before you were a Christian, before you were surrendered to God, about things where, where God was convicting you and things that were happening, people that were praying for you, situations. For me, it was stuff that I remember like, you know, at that, at that moment in life, right when I began to be faced with this decision and people were praying for me in Hemet that I didn't know about and it felt like I was driving in my car and every time I got to a stoplight the bumper sticker on the car in front of me said Jesus loves you and is calling you and I'm like I know already you know like and there was just all of these things that were happening sometimes stupid things like that and some real spiritual things powerful things God was doing but I could totally put my finger that, that God the Holy Spirit was coming alongside me calling me and drawing me and, and without that work of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says none of us will ever become Christians. Because it's, it's the call of the Father through the work of the Spirit that they that call. But once God's Spirit begins to call us, listen, we have an opportunity whether we're going to respond or not. I had that same experience when I was 13, 14 years old. And, and I didn't surrender my heart and life to Jesus. I didn't receive the Holy Spirit. I didn't get to part two. Para, I, was, I had lots of para when I was 14 years old. I was involved in a youth group for two years. I had no God or no church in my life growing up. I had a neighbor kid who was the only Christian I knew in my whole life growing up. And he went to a church, and they had a skateboard ramp out front of the church. And so we were skaters at the time. So we went for all the wrong reasons, and um, we did some stuff before we got there. And we went to church in 7th and 8th grade, and we skated there. And, and 
and, I, and then if you skated, you went into the service. And I was learning Bible verses. And I was loving, actually, the Bible study part of it, which is totally kind of strange. But I was totally digging it. For two years, I, I, kept, I went every Wednesday night for two years. Matter of fact, I was the memory verse, Bible verse memory champion, seventh grade. I won a little plaque. I memorized more verses than anybody else in our youth group. So in eighth grade, I was going to go back and defend my title. And this kid tied me. I took him out back. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I wanted to. I was mad. I wanted my title. Now I got it. So I had two plaques. One said champion and one said co-champion. I took a black marker and I crossed out the co part. But, um, but in that moment, that season of life, the Holy Spirit was definitely drawing and calling me. And that youth pastor, I can't wait to meet this guy in heaven because I was such a turd. I was such a jerk for so long. And he was so good to me, man. He just loved me as just a punk kid who just didn't deserve it. And he took me out for a special kind of time after youth group. I was graduating eighth grade. I was going into high school. I was leaving his youth group. And he said, do you want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, pray this prayer with me. And in my heart, I said words out of my mouth, but my heart was like, eh, I'm getting ready to go to high school and I'll be a nerd and this and that. And I'm not, I, I like, I think this stuff is true and I like Jesus, but I, I you know, it's social suicide. It's, it's this, it's that. And I, I'm, I'm unwilling to make this surrender. And, and so I said the words, but I didn't surrender in my heart. And by the grace of God, for the next six years until I was age 20, by the time I was age 20, now six years later, my life was completely a mess, completely train wrecked, fully addicted to drugs. Girlfriend was pregnant. Life was just going nowhere fast. Um, and at 20 years old, this, this para really ramped up in my life. The Holy Spirit coming alongside me, drawing me, calling me. And, and I said the same exact prayer that I said in eighth grade. I said, Jesus, come in my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Except for what happened at 20 was that my heart matched the words that came out of my mouth. And I surrendered my life to Jesus at 20 years old. And then I experienced in and I felt it, man. I had an emotional conversion and the Holy Spirit came in my life because I received him and I welcomed him. And at 20 years old, I became born again. And that's when if I died, I, from that point forward, I was going to heaven to be with Jesus. And to this day when I die, I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus. And then the, the, I had, so I had this in. This, this is the same thing. In John chapter 21, Jesus says to the 12 disciples, he's there on the sand. They're out fishing. Peter's having a bad day. And they decide to go back fishing, and Jesus starts barbecuing on the side, and they, they see some strange guy on the beach. He's got a fire, and, and then Peter realizes it's Jesus, and fully clothed, he jumps into the water, swims to the shore, and the 12 disciples get in. Well, well there, post-resurrection, a couple of days after Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to them, he, he comes, and, and, and as the 12 disciples are gathered, John chapter 21, the Bible says that Jesus breathed on them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And I always ask the same question. You guys know it now, right? If Jesus says to you, receive the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen in your life? You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. So why then, 40 days later, now Pentecost, everybody understands what Pentecost is? Pentecost is a Jewish feast. It's one of the seven major feasts that they celebrate every year. We have Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. They, they have Passover, Unleavened Bread, Pentecost. So Pentecost happens 50 days after Passover. Jesus died on Passover. He rose again on first fruits. Um, and, and so 50 days later, the early church, the bride of Christ, which you and I are a part of today, was born. And Jesus told them, go to Jerusalem 
and wait there, tarry there for this baptism of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to send. Well, this is 50, 40 days after he's already breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. So why then, if they already received the Holy Spirit, did they need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit? Question, answer. The answer is because it's two separate experiences. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is N. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a P. And we can make a super strong biblical case that there are absolutely separate experiences that, that you and I have, opportunities that you and I have to, to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a story in the book of Acts. This guy asked Jesus in his heart. So para has already happened, right? Nobody asks Jesus in their heart unless the Holy Spirit first comes alongside them. So the Holy Spirit came alongside him, began to convict him, called him. He responded. He said, yes, the Holy Spirit came in him. And then he came and he said, hey, I became a Christian. I asked Jesus in my heart. And they said, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What did this guy say? We've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? And they prayed for him. And he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Separate occasion. So back to my story. Born again. Saved. Going to heaven. Uh, about a year later, six months, eight months later, I, I'm, I'm living with this same kid who took me to when I was in seventh and eighth grade, he had moved to, to Hemet, California. And so he, he was part of the, 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 the plan that God used to, to get me to come to Christ. And, um, and, and so he I come stay with him. He's my same age. We were best friends growing up. And so I moved out to Hemet and Jason and I got a little apartment um, in Hemet. And I was working out there and I was going to his church. And it was my very, very green beginning stages of walking with Jesus. And I began to, I was growing in the Lord and had all kinds of baggage that, that God was dealing with in my life. And, um, and during this season, I began to read the word and I began to grow and I began to seek Jesus. And it was, again, in that first year after I got saved. And one morning, God was waking me up five in the morning, like clockwork to get up and spend time with him. It was such a sweet season of early Christian living time God was doing. I didn't know the word. I was very green. I didn't grow up Christian. So God was doing some things kind of supernaturally for me, quickening this, things I was just, God was just having to do for me because I was green. And, and so God was getting me up early and I would, and I wasn't a morning person, five o'clock in the morning, every morning, like, bing, my eyes are awake. And it's like, okay, time to spend time with God. It's a wonderful season. And, and during that time, five o'clock in the morning, alone in my room, reading my Bible, and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And another emotional experience for me, I began to speak in tongues, which I, I love that, that God gave me my tongue because, um, I, you know, sometimes people have bad experience with that and it can feel fake or manufactured. I had no intellect. I had no um, intellectual debate or argument or understanding of what speaking in tongues was, so I didn't have to fight with anybody about whether it was godly or not. It was all strange and new to me. And so the, the way that it happened, I, I can't doubt that it was God in my life. It was supernatural. God did that. And, and, and so I, I'm thankful for that. I began, I, I was given the gift of speaking in tongues. I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there was like this literal, physical, like weight that was, that was lifted that day. But it was a separate experience from what happened six months earlier at 20 years old when I was asked Jesus in my heart and I was born again. This was the para. This was the epi. This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Nobody knows. Luke chapter 11, verse number 9, says that you, you do what? And if you ask, is God going to give you a rock? If you ask, is God going to give you a scorpion? Going to give you a serpent? What's he going to give you? 
Holy Spirit up in her, right? Hey, that's kind of how we think it works, right? Listen, let me tell you, we got to wrap up, but listen, um, here's one of the things that I don't want you to, I don't want our church to have a problem, okay? And I know we do, and it's okay, we're going to deal with it. I, I, I talk to a lot of Christians for whatever reason. Many times they've had a bad experience in church or a bad teaching or a bad kind of story they heard about the way that speaking in tongues or the Holy Spirit manufactures or the way that it functions. And, and they'll say things like, man, yeah, that's just not for me. Like that whole baptism and the Holy Spirit stuff, that's for other Christians. That's not for me. Listen, don't make that mistake in your Christian living. That's just not the case. And if you had a bad experience, I'm going to tell you, you need, you want God desires for you. He wants to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's the power to live life, to avoid sin in your life, to stay close to Jesus. We need and we should desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not weird. It's not, it's not out of line. The Bible says that all things should be done decently and in order. I, 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 one of the things I'm super thankful for is my prayer language. I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues every day. And it's, you know, some people say, oh, I don't want to speak in tongues. I'm afraid I'll be like in Walmart in the checkout line, and all of a sudden I'll just start speaking in tongues, and people think I'm weird. It doesn't work like that. It's not like that. It's just a few little phrase God gives you that, that, that's supernatural. It bypasses your intellect. You know, when we, when we pray, we can only pray about what we think and what's going It just, you don't even have to think about it anymore. It bypasses your intellect, and it connects with God. But the Bible says there's some rules in speaking in tongues. Apostle Paul said, I would rather speak five words in a known language than 10,000 in a tongue. Because it doesn't edify the body. When, when, and so every time you see the gift of tongues in the Bible when it's in a group, it's discouraged. Every time you see speaking in tongues in the Bible when it's for an individual, it's encouraged. The Apostle Paul said, I speak in tongues more than anybody on planet Earth. So that dude spent a lot of time in his personal life praying in tongues. Never did he do it in a public setting. And, and then he also said to the people he preached to, he said, I would, I wish, I would that you all speak in tongues. Because he understood the, the accent and the, the value that it added to his spiritual living. And, and it did. It created another, another opportunity, another way to connect with God, another way to pray. It's biblical. It's real. It's true. And so listen, whether, when, it doesn't have to be speaking in tongues. We, we put, and I understand, and I'm guilty, I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. We put a lot of emphasis on speaking in tongues, and the Bible doesn't necessarily do that. The Bible actually puts more emphasis upon us as Christ followers having the gift of prophecy. That's a gift where you can speak life into somebody. You can prophesy over somebody. That's a value. That's the best gift, the Bible says. A brother comes to you and says, man, my life is hurting. And, and, and they have this, this gift of the Holy Spirit that you can just speak life into that person. And you can say something to them that's true and it's biblical and it's godly and it's backed with Scripture. And it's encouraging. And you're going to be okay because God and, and, and this, this gift, that's the one you really want. So, so again, we put a lot of emphasis on speaking in tongues, but it's not so. And, again, I just got to clear up a few things quickly. It, it has, it, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. You can be saved, born again, going and not speak in tongues. Okay? Those two are not connected. Some people want to connect them. If, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not true. Okay? It's not biblical. But, listen, just this is the mistake I don't want us to make as a church. I don't want us to be a people that develop an attitude about this work of the spirit and in our midst in our in our church in our personal lives that oh it's just not for us okay you christ follower it's for you and you need it and you want it and it's necessary amen all right so hey we are going to listen before this study's over we're going to have y'all speaking in tongues and baptizing people in the holy spirit and
Now listen, this is what the Bible says. I'm just kidding about all that. But I do want to encourage you guys again. So if you're born again and you've not whether heard whether there is a Holy Spirit, if you, um, you know, you, you desire to, to, to have the power that fills your bucket to overflowing and affects your environment, you need the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's offered to you. We're going to see in the book of Acts where God is going to baptize the, the disciples in the Holy Spirit for the first time. And then, and then after that, you know, every time I pray, I always, you guys probably never heard me pray where I didn't say, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Fill with your spirit. Because we're supposed to be being filled. It doesn't mean we're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, John said, uh, the baptized, John the, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but there's one who's coming and he's going to baptize you with, with the spirit of God and with fire. That was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he was, that he was talking about. You and I, we experience water baptism. We've been baptized. There's another baptism, the baptism of power in your lives with the Holy Spirit. And how do you get it? You ask. I want to pray for you guys. Let's invite the worship team up. We're going to play maybe a half song. Um, and um, as they're coming up, open the prayer room today. Uh, Darlene, is the prayer room going to be open today? You have some help? Okay. So when you go out of here today, if you want to make a left, um, we'll have some people in our prayer ministry. They're going to be in the conference room. They're just set up to talk to you, pray for you, pray with you. If you have questions, if you have um, concerns, if you just want prayer over anything in your life, then um, I-, I want you guys to, to go out of here and make a left. The coffee shop will be open if anybody wants a cup of coffee on the way out. Um, but before we do that, again, as the work team's coming up, um, I-, I want to give you guys an opportunity to, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't have a magic wand, and I don't know how it works, and I can't necessarily guarantee that anybody's going to feel anything or anything crazy is going to happen. But I do understand that it's, it's a matter of faith, and that, that the Bible is pretty clear that the way we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we ask. And, and that you say in your heart, I want all that God has for me. And that's all it is. Do you want all that God has for you? If you want all that God has for you, you ask. And so if you're in here today and you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to stand. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, it's just saying yes to Jesus, folks. Who doesn't want to say yes to Jesus and all that he wants for you and all that he has for you? And no condemnation in it. It's just, just yes, God moves. And we're just going to ask. We're just going to ask. So for those of you that are standing, we're going to pray and you guys ask in your heart and we're going to we're going to ask God to fill you and baptize you with your Holy Spirit. And what, what I'm asking God to do is is biblical. What he did for the apostles in Acts chapter two, what he wants to do in all of our lives is put that hose in your life and fill you up to full and overflowing. Allow the Holy Spirit to affect the environment that you live in, your family, your workers, your your friends, your neighborhood, that that power of the Holy Spirit would be present in your life. So let's just uh, you agree with me and I'm going to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Father, I come before you and I thank you so much for all that have stood. Lord Jesus, there's a boldness in, in being unashamed of the gospel and willing to stand in our front of our peers to say we want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so Father, I pray for those that are standing that you right now would baptize them in the Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that there would be an emotional feeling, God, that there would be a, a sensation, and at the same time, there would be a faith that would believe, God, that you're, at, you're answering the prayer. Because we're asking you for the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says that you're not going to give us a stone or a serpent or, or, a, or a scorpion. So, Lord, we believe by faith, as, as we're asking right now for the Holy Spirit, that you're filling these folks with the Holy Spirit.
Jesus' name, praise you. Let's all stand, worship the Lord. Again, as you leave, if you'd like individual prayer, you can go out and the prayer team will be in the conference room to pray for you guys. We love you guys. God bless you guys. Have a great week.